Good morning. Good to see you were able to make it today. Glad you're here and I'm glad to be here. I enjoy, always enjoy coming back. But it is an awesome thing to stand before a crowd like this and preach. Look at your faces. You look so young. You're looking, looking younger every year. Of course, I'm not looking older, but it is good to be here. And I, I was talking to Brother Gingery this morning. We were talking at the breakfast table. He said, you know, it's nice to come up here because you only got one responsibility, and that's to teach. And then you have free time to go back to your ministry, and it's different. So I said, yeah, it's a nice reprieve, isn't it, just to come up here and be able to teach and enjoy the time. And I get to see my grandchildren more than once because I have some of them in my class. I've had three of them so far, and I've got six more, five more to go. So uh, they have to put up with me in classes. Speaking of uh, painting, uh, that's one of the things I've done on the sideline. I did it through a seminary, and I've done it while I was starting a church, and I've done jobs throughout. I enjoy painting and uh, making things look nice and clean and new and fresh. I've been doing it at Fellowship Baptist Church as well. Wherever I go, I can't stay out of paint. But they're asking for painters. Now, listen, there's two kinds of people that paint. There are people who put paint on, and then there are people who know what they're doing. And uh, I remember pastor had asked me to oversee the finances of the project of converting the White House into a dorm. Brother Robbie Milburn was here back then doing that. So I was helping him and I was going to help him paint. So I came in one morning and I went down to see how he was doing. And I had a meeting because I was uh, still in the academy and had my suit on. And I come in and to see if Robbie had some help. Well, nobody was there to help him. And it was before the meeting, before the 8 o'clock. And so he had cut this room in, if you know what that means. He'd cut in the ceiling, around the doors, windows. All he had to do was roll it. And he was pressed for time, like an Egyptian mummy. He's pressed for time. But anyway, uh, so he's, uh, he's trying to get things done. I said, Robbie, I said, let me roll that room. I had my suit on. I said, let me roll the room. So I went in this room. <laughs> There were electricians and plumbers working out there. And here's this guy in there with a suit on. And I'm rolling the room. I rolled that room, got it all done. Never got one speck of paint on my suit. I told my wife what I had done. She said, you did what? I said, well, he needed help. Now, I didn't have time to go change because I had a meeting. Then after the meeting, I would change and go down and help him. But he needed to get that room done. So I just rolled the room in my suit. So I got her done and saved my suit. I just enjoy doing it. So wherever I go, I like to put on paint. Well, let me rephrase that. I like to paint. Okay. Some people I don't want painting. And some people I I do want painting. But if you're going to paint, learn how to do it. Okay? There is an art to it. And I learned that. Learned a lot of things when I was in Greenville. Besides going to grad school, I learned how to do some things in painting and do it better than I had been doing it. So you're always learning. Amen? And I hope you're learning right now. You, you folks that are in the finance class, I hope you're listening, hope you're learning. And, and uh, it's like trying to drink out of a, a fire hydrant sometimes. There's just so much stuff coming, right? Uh, but I hope you retain some of that because, folks, listen to me. In the day we're living and in the future, this is going to be very important to you. Amen? It's going to be very important. We're making a big change in our country as to how we're going to be uh, buying and selling things. It's going to be a big difference. Okay, So we have to learn to adjust to that. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Very familiar chapter. And I'm sure to many of you very familiar text. But I want us to look at this again afresh and anew. 
And we're going to look at verse 23 through verse 27. Well, no, verse 26. Verse 26. Verse 23 through 26. The writer here says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. What a text. Now, I'm not going to go on with the rest of it, his faith, but I want to focus on this this morning. Three things about Moses here, his family, his faith, and his focus. His family, his faith, and his focus. And of course, the kernel truth here, the, the central truth is his faith. That's what this chapter is about. Going back to, to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith. That all begins back in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. When Habakkuk was facing the, the fact that God was going to use Babylon to judge his people, and he was overwhelmed. But he came to the right conclusion. The just shall live by faith, my friend, that may become very, very more important to us in the days ahead of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this text. Help us this morning as we preach from this that we might be able to give some things that would help all of us as we face this uncertain future, as we watch what's going on not only in our country but around this world, as we prepare for that grand climax of the age. So, Lord, help us here this morning to remember it is by faith. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is one of the most revered men of all time, especially to the nation of Israel. They look at him because he was their deliverer from Egypt. He was their lawgiver. And Moses is a central figure with the nation of Israel even today. Um, the legend, the Jewish legend of him, if you've ever seen of this, goes far beyond the biblical account. But we're going to stay with the biblical account, okay? But Moses was a man, the only man we know of in Scripture that I can think of, who God said he talked to him mouth to mouth. So what does that mean? Well, the modern day uh, vernacular would be face to face. God talked to Moses face to face. And God, uh, Moses spent some extensive time with God on the mountain twice, 40 days and 40 nights. Him and the Lord Jesus Christ both shared that testing and temptation on the Mount of Temptation for the Lord Jesus and on Mount Sinai for Moses. Think about it, 40 days and 40 nights concentrated in the presence of God himself. They both went through temptations and testings. And the Lord Jesus faced Satan at the end. And Satan comes to tempt and, in essence, to test him. And he passed, of course. Moses was put to the test when, as he's coming off of the mountain, he hears this music and immediately is alerted to the fact something is wrong in the camp. That's interesting. You ever notice that? He didn't see anything. He heard the music and he knew something is amiss in the camp. And sure enough, his older brother Aaron had let the ball drop. 
And obviously from the pressure and influence of the, the leaders of the day there in the nation, he succumbed to that. And of course he made the golden calf and they became idolatrous, worshiping an idol. And he said, this is your God. So when Moses comes down, he's carrying the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments and he gets so angry, he throws them down and broke them. And then he challenged the people. He said, you that are on the Lord's side, come here and stand with me. Well, I guarantee him, Aaron didn't waste any time. Amen. He got there. But there were a number of men and the people that died because of their rebellion and their involving themselves in idolatry. But then later, Moses has to go back up on the mountain again. You read the text in Exodus. He went up again and he got the tablets again. But this time when he comes off, it's different. But when he came off the mountain the second time of spending another 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, the Bible says his face shone so brilliantly they couldn't look at him. And when he went to talk, they said, please, Moses, put a veil over your face from spending so much time in the presence of God. Have you ever noticed an older person, an older Christian in the Lord who has been living with the, for the Lord and walking with the Lord for years and noticed their face, their countenance, how it lights up and the beauty of that countenance, seeing Christ on their face because they've spent time with Him, walking with Him, loving Him, serving Him, being faithful to Him all that time. Well, Moses was like that. Now, you know, Moses blew it. In one incident, he blew it. When he was told to speak to the rock, and he didn't. In fact, he only struck the rock once, he struck it twice, and he struck out. And he forfeited his entrance into the promised land because the picture is Christ, the rock. The first time it's smitten, the second time was not to be smitten, for Christ was only smitten how many times? One. Moses, you broke the picture. And you've not done what I told you to do. And Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Both folks, you better do it God's way. Amen. You better do it the way the Bible says and be faithful at it and do it the way God wants it to be done. We got a whole message on that, but let's move on. We find Moses now here in the great hall of faith as it is known. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us some insight into the life of Moses back in Exodus some things he adds to it and shows us some more about him, his family, and his faith. So let's first of all look at his family, his parents. If you would go back to Exodus 6 and verse 20, you'll find out who his father was. We know his, his mother was Jochebed, but his father was Amram. And those two parents were under a time when the Pharaoh had made an edict, a command, a law that the male babies were to be destroyed. And so they have a little boy, baby, Amran and Jochebed, Israelites, parents with faith in God. And that's what the text says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months. It's not talking about Moses' faith there. It's talking about the faith of his parents, Amram and Jochebed. The faith of the parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I emphasize that, folks. They were not afraid of the king's commandments, okay? Because that commandment meant death for children, for male children, trying to delineate or trying to break down the 
increase of the Israelites. But those parents instilled in Moses that faith. They trained him at a very crucial point in his life. And he got it, evidently. He got it. And he became Pharaoh's daughter. But you know all the circumstances. I'm going to go back into the history of it, how that happened. But the parents made it so that he was protected. They hid him for three months. They hid him. But you can only hide a crying baby for so long, right? And so what they did was made provision. We see his, his parents, but now we see his protection. And we see the faith of these parents. They trusted God. They knew what the command was. They knew the consequences if they didn't do it. But still, they did not fear Pharaoh's command. And they determined, we're not going to let this little boy be put to death. They noticed that he was a different little baby. He was a beautiful little baby. I'll say more about that in just a few moments. But they hid him. They hid him. And then they set up the circumstances where he could be found. Now, whether they were planning on Pharaoh's daughter finding him, perhaps, but at least he would be found and rescued. But I want you to notice, it says he was a proper child here. And so what does that mean? Moses, they saw he was a proper child. So that word proper, it means beautiful. So you'll find the word proper here. But back in Acts 7 verse 20, you'll find in Stephen's sermon, he says he was exceeding fair. And if you go back to the text in Exodus, he was a goodly child. So what does it mean? Well, evidently he was a beautiful little baby boy. But I think there's more to it than that. They saw something about him and they evidently perhaps believed that God would use this little boy. Amen. You know, when you have children, folks, your goal should be to raise them for the Lord. And you men who will be the husbands and fathers, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so you see their faith. They put him in a, in a, what was called a little ark. It was a basket made from bulrushes. So what in the world is a bulrush anyway? Well, a bulrush is a plant that grows there on the water's edge of the Nile. And it grows from 10 to 16 feet tall. The base of that plant is about three inches thickness. But it has three sides to it. It's also known as papyrus, from which they made papyri, writing material. So that's what this was. And, and they used it for other things people did. But they used it to make this basket, this ark, if you will, to put that little boy in and then put him among the reeds there at the river's edge where he could be protected and hopefully be found. So we see the faith of the parents, but we also see the fearlessness of his parents. They did not fear. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. As I was thinking about this and studying this, I began to think of our own situation, what's going on, has been going on in our country lately with the administration and all the things that are happening. And some of the things are being decided and some of the things are being handed down by executive orders, etc., etc. Are you afraid? Does it put fear in your heart what might be coming? What we might be facing as Christians? And this is, this is reality, folks. We don't know for sure. The future is very uncertain as to what we're facing in this country. But we know this, and I believe this. I believe we're watching the preparation for the climax of where we're heading. 
And that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the tribulation period and the coming forth of the man known as the Antichrist. I don't think that just happens all of a sudden. I think there's got to be preparation for this. And I think we're watching it. Amen. It's very interesting in Hebrews chapter 10, back in uh, before 11, you'll find a very important text. It says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much more as you what? See the day approaching. It's interesting. The people, God's people, many of them don't seem to be taking this seriously. Well, to be more faithful to the house of God, do you not think? Why would we cancel services on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night? Why aren't we spending more time together with God's people in the house of God under the preaching of the word and fellowshipping and strengthening one another and provoking one another to love and to good works, as the Bible says? What's wrong? I think, and I thought about preaching this message on the three awakes of the New Testament. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame, Paul said. we got a job to do, amen? We've got a purpose and a reason for why we're here. And that has never been reneged on. And God gave that to us, the Lord Jesus Christ gave that to us right before he left, and that has never been changed. That's why we're here, is to fulfill and complete the Great Commission. There are many souls out there yet that God wants to save, but He uses His people to do it. Amen? And we were given that command to do it. So they didn't fear God, and they didn't fear, the com- they didn't fear Pharaoh, and they didn't fear His commandment. All right, this is what they're requiring and what they're saying, but this is what God wants me to do. So which one are you going to choose? Are we going to obey God, as Peter said and John, or are we going to obey man? Which one? And I think you know the answer to that. Amen? We're going to obey God, regardless of the consequences of what man may do or what man may threaten us to do. So folks, fear, the antidote for fear is faith. The antidote to fear is faith. Trust in the Lord. Depend upon Him. Believe Him. Look to Him. Let your conversation, your lifestyle, your manner of living be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And that may become a lot more relevant before this is over. Be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man can do unto me. That's not an idle statement, my friend. The Lord is with us. And we've heard that in the opening messages and some of what Pastor has said. The Lord has given us that promise. He has not left us. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what the plan is. He's working in the background. He's orchestrating and he's going to work this through. And we have to trust him. Faith. Dependence. And be busy about what he left us here to do without fear. The antidote to faith or fear is your faith. There's an interesting story, a similar story back in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, 
with a king by the name of Ahaziah and his mother Athaliah. You remember that story? Ahaziah had buddied up with Joram, the son of Ahab, and Jehu, God had called him to take over the northern kingdom and put to death all the family of Ahab. But Ahaziah, buddying up to Joram, was up to see him while Jehu was carrying out his, his uh, killing and destroying all the house of Ahab. He sees Ahaziah, well, he just takes him out. So Athaliah, his mother, who was the son of, or the daughter of Omri, the father of Ahab, and what a story and what a, what a family that, that was. But anyway, she decides she's going to take over the kingdom, so she puts all of her grandsons to death, except Jehoshaphat, the sister of Ahaziah, takes Joash, and she hides him. For seven years, she hides him. Until finally, the high priest, and his name escapes from my memory right now, but anyway, they bring him forth, and they declare him king. And when Athaliah comes in yelling treason, treason, he says, take her out. Don't kill her in the temple. Get her out of here and put her to death. But Jehoshaphat risked her life to preserve that little boy because he was going to be king. And he did become king. So we see his family. But secondly, let's get to his faith, Moses' faith in verse 24 and 25. Now, it's very interesting as you study this. And it's very interesting to me that he does what he does. Because it says in verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, let's go back and think, how long was he with his parents before he went into the palace of Pharaoh? Well, Jochebed kept him, and you know the orchestration of that, with Miriam going and getting the Israelite woman. Well, he got his mother, and his mother had the privilege of raising him up. So Amram and Jochebed have him as a little boy. And ladies, I hope you listen up to this. The crucial years in the life of a child are those early years and setting the direction of their life. And obviously they did their job well by faith in God. Because he would have been weaned later, I think, than what we do, would do today. But perhaps, I don't know, four, maybe five. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. So he's in the house of Pharaoh, the palace of Pharaoh, as, as, as Pharaoh's daughter's son for how many years then? Well, 35 at least, maybe 36, 37. Long time. Under the influence of the Egyptian culture, and society, which was not a good thing to be under. So he's raised up in that environment, okay? And we find out something about him. It's interesting that uh, Stephen in his message says he was, he was brought, he was skilled in words and deeds. I find that interesting because his excuse to God for not going down there says, I can't talk. I got a problem. And yet it says he was skilled in that with words and deeds. I'll mention that in just a few minutes, what I think happened, but anyway. So, but he came of years. But Stephen says he was 40 years old. He came to years. He was 40 years old when he arrives. And now he's eligible to take over the kingdom. 
And he was in line to do it from what I understand. He was the one individual that would have been the, the one to replace Pharaoh. So he had everything in front of him that you could ever want. Position, power, pleasures, wealth. He could have had it all. Can you tell me, how in the world did he come to this conviction when it says, when he was come to years, he refused? I don't want to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I would rather suffer with my people, the people of God. That's a marvel, don't you think? All those years in that palace under that influence and the training he had. For all practical purposes, he was an Egyptian because remember when he fled for his life and went to Midian and he waters the sheep of his future father-in-law's daughter, they went back and said what happened, but they told their father who had delivered them? An Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian, dressed like an Egyptian. You would have thought he was an Egyptian. He might have been outwardly, but inwardly in his heart, he was not. Young people, he did not forget what he had been taught and what had been instilled in his life and heart by godly parents. Would to God that parents would get a hold of this. When you have a child, you don't wait till they're in school or kindergarten to start. You start even before they're born. But as soon as they're born, teaching them and, and training them in the Word of God and exposing them to it. Because that's the crucial years. Now, I know pastors had, and I've read those notes and used those notes in the past about training children. But I'm telling you folks the importance of that. And you young people need to get a hold of this. As soon as you have that baby, you've been given the responsibility to raise that child for God. And the husband is to take the leadership. The wife is to assist and help. But to train that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They are on loan from God. Children are a heritage of the Lord. And he wants you to raise up a godly seed unto him. Amen? And we need to make sure that's what we're doing in raising our children. There's another child like that in Scripture. Samuel. Samuel. Look at the environment he was placed in as a little boy with Eli, the submissive or the... Uh, it was a parent that didn't take control in raising his sons and, call, and holding them accountable for their sin. He was permissive. But his mother raised him and trained him along with her husband while he was little before they turned him over to Eli. So here he is in an environment and yet he turns out to be one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And if you study the life of Samuel, it's very interesting. Like Joseph, there's not one negative thing said about him. Very interesting. You find that I know of no negatives about Joseph. There are no negatives about Samuel. His sons did not follow in his steps, but God never has anything negative to say about him. He was a tremendous prophet and man of God. How did he turn out that way? It has to go back to his childhood training, would you not say? 
how important that is with little babies and little children in grounding them and teaching them and bringing them to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. So we're looking at his faith. So he makes a choice. By faith, he makes a choice when he was come to years. And now he's got this opportunity and he turns his back on it. It was either the world or the way as it was known in Acts in chapter 9. At the outset, they called this movement of Christianity the way. So it was a choice. Do you want the world or do you want to follow Jesus? We have the same choice today, do we not? Are we going to follow this world and let it influence us and conform us? Or are we going to follow God, His Word, and be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a choice, young people, that we have to make. He made the choice. Is it pleasures or persecution? Look what it says. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yes, sin has its pleasures. And I dare say that some in this room, perhaps when you were younger, before you got saved, maybe you indulged. But you find out they're empty. And they don't bring happiness. And whatever joy is in it is temporal at best. But the consequences, my friend, ask David when you see him, when he gave in to that temptation and track his life after that. Now, he got right with God, but the consequences. And there are people who get saved later in life and they have indulged and they've gotten involved and then they get saved. And my friend, you've got to deal with that and put it in your past. God forgives it. And you need to put it in your past and go on and do what you ought to do and live the way God wants you to live and be obedient to His Word and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember your arch enemy, he'll come along and try to drag it out again and you just put him in his place. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's my past. Amen. That's my past. But as, as Paul said in, Rome, uh, in Philippians 3, forgetting the things that are behind, amen, and reaching forth to the things that are before. And what a, what a future we have as a child of God. So he chose play, uh, persecution over pleasures. He would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Old Demas, Paul in his last days said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You have to shake your head and wonder what is going on in Christendom today. I hold a lot of pastors responsible for what they're allowing to go on in their churches. Worldly music, worldly methods, worldly dress. What are we thinking? You heard some tremendous preaching this past week. And pastor's message Sunday night, God help us. God left us here to be different, to be salt, to be light, to show people Christ. And one of the verses I've really got a hold of is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be unto God that always gives us the, or always makes us, gives us the triumph, causes us to triumph in Christ. And maketh manifest 
the savor of his knowledge in every place. Young people, wherever you go, whoever you're with ought to take note of something. You're different. The savor of the knowledge of Christ in your life. And they should be asking you a question. Are you a Christian? Why don't you do this? Why don't you go there? Why don't you run with them? Why do you not? Open door to tell them the difference that Christ makes in one's life. When I first got saved, me and my best friend, I thought he was my best friend. I don't think he was after I got saved and realized what was going on. He was a bad influence in my life. In fact, when I first met my wife-to-be, though I didn't know it and she didn't know it at the time, I was introduced to her. She wanted nothing to do with me. And I thought, well, I'm a nice guy, I think. What's the problem? It was the guy I was running with. And she thought, if he's like him, well, uh, to make a long story short, I pursued her. And I guess you know I caught her. Well, actually, the Lord was in all of that. Okay. I wasn't saved at the time, but through her, I got saved, through her and her family. I got saved, and the Lord brought us together as husband and wife. But at the outset, she didn't want anything to do with me because of who I was running with. You better remember that. Who are your friends? Who are your close associates, confidants, when you're out of BCM, back home, out in the world? Who do you run with? Because that tells people a lot, doesn't it? Now, you may not be like them, but if you're running with them, you'll become like them. And people will always associate you with that element. So young people, it is very important. So we see his faith. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he would rather suffer with God's people than enjoy the pleasures of sin. Notice for a season and my friend, that season is short. And this life is short. And one day it's going to be over. But notice, last of all, his focus. What was he focused on? Well, look at it. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You see, Moses was looking beyond this life to the next. His focus wasn't on the temporal. His focus was on the eternal. His focus wasn't on what this world has to offer. His focus was on the reward he expected to receive when he met his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you focused on today? You've heard some great preaching here. But as I heard, think I heard pastors say, Monday, don't let things go back to business as usual. Revivals are great. Revival meetings are great. But the test of true revival is what happens after the evangelist leaves. And we've made these decisions. And sometimes we do get emotional about it. And there's nothing, not necessarily anything wrong with that as long as it's real. But the test is what happens after it's all over. Then what? 
Moses was looking beyond this life, my friend. There is the day coming when you and I, as God's people, are going to stand at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have to look in his face. And we're going to have to give an account. If that don't stir you, if that don't sober you, my friend, there's something wrong. Think about it. You're going to stand there alone and look in the face of the one who gave his life and paid the price for you to be in heaven. And the question is, what are you doing for him now? And what are you going to do for him in the lifetime you have left? It's very important. It's very important. And I've told our people several times, one of the things going to be your concern when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ is this. Who is here because of me? Amen? Who is here because of me? Who is there because of you? Folks, we have a responsibility. We have a purpose for being here. And it's all about Christ. And the older you get, you're going to realize how important that is. Because we're getting closer to meeting him personally in death, I hope, in the rapture. Amen. But either way, you're going to meet him. But soon after that meeting at the rapture and resurrection is the reality of now. What are you going to receive? Notice what it says. He esteemed, he held in high regard the reproach of being a follower of the Messiah of Christ. Greater riches than all the treasures he had at his disposal if he would have accepted it. But he refused it because his focus wasn't on that people His focus was a higher focus on the eternal. He had respect unto the recompense of the reward, the payment that's coming. What he had to look forward to when he met the Savior. And by faith, he did it. How's your faith this morning? Are you literally, honestly walking by faith? The just shall live by faith. The antidote to your fears, you shouldn't have them. Why should I fear when Jesus is near? And he's promised in this venture of the Great Commission, he said, I will never, lo, I'm with you always. I like what Dr. Bob Jr. used to say. Thankfully, he said low because he said, I don't like to fly. Amen. But anyway, he said, I'm with you all the time. So why are we afraid? No matter what the king or the president or the Congress or whatever might pass that's detrimental to us in the cause of Christ, who's in control? God is. He's not lost control. He's still there. You can trust him. And our faith in Him and keeping our focus where it belongs on the eternal. Because, folks, I really believe it's probably a lot closer than we realize. Amen? 
Get your focus right. Get it where it belongs. So how's your faith this morning? And where is your focus? Yes, it's on the future. And I hope you have a great future. But I'm not sure what all that future holds for us right now. But I know this. Our God controls the future. And we know how it all ends. Amen. And until that day, be faithful. Walk by faith. And keep your focus where it belongs. And by faith you can do it.